Welcome to The Haber Show. We're going to do things a little differently this week. In tribute to Kobe Bryant, who tragically passed away this past Sunday, along with his daughter Gianna and seven others in a horrific helicopter crash. We're going to bring you a collection of Kobe stories, some new, some from the archives. We'll go along with Mark Spears of The Undefeated at ESPN, who covered Kobe over the last two decades and has plenty of personal anecdotes that I think you'll appreciate. We'll hear from NBC Sports Digital Art Director Chris Hine, my Haberstadt producer who graduated high school with Kobe and has probably an amazing story that uh, he upstaged Kobe, literally, one time. We'll also bring back audio from two players who had a long history with Kobe Bryant, my interview with his former teammate and coach Brian Shaw, and also a nemesis on the court of Kobe, Doug Christie, who guarded him as well as anybody could possibly guard Kobe. Nobody did it very well. I think the common thread you'll hear is that Kobe was vicious, but also sweet. Funny, but also serious. Single-minded, but also endlessly curious. There's a duality to Kobe that I don't think many who watched him for so many years understood. Kobe was a complicated man, but above all, he was human. And my hope is that these guests will offer a perspective on that side of Kobe Bryant you hadn't heard before. So my condolences go out to Vanessa, his wife, his three daughters, his family, his friends, and also the family and friends of those others who perished in the crash. It's an unthinkable tragedy in the NBA and the larger scope even beyond the NBA. So hopefully this Kobe tribute will do it justice, do him justice. Without further ado, let's get to it. This would be 18 for 20 from the line. And an 81-point game, 55 in the second half. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed the second greatest scoring performance in NBA history. Someone who had a personal connection with him for over two decades. This is uh, Mark Spears of the Undefeated at ESPN. Mark Spears covered Kobe Bryant at ESPN, at the Boston Globe, at the Denver Post all over the place, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy this perspective from Mark, who had what I think many of us, the relationship with Kobe was, at first he didn't like him very much, or he actually didn't think as highly as a lot of people did, and then he changed that perspective and that relationship over time. Here's Mark Spears. Yeah, yesterday, it just, it was too heavy, like, you know, and then the the love for him, like, all my friends share, but like they didn't know him, so it's different. Like, cause they're asking me a thousand questions, and they're posting all these things, and like I even, you know, had in a nice way tell my wife last night, like, look, I, 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 I don't want to see anymore. You know what I mean? It's just because it's different when you knew him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like um, the typical fascination when somebody of no passes, you know, like I knew him personally. So it, it, it was painful every time I saw a video or a picture or, or, or got an update or, you know what I mean? It, it was. So Do you I hear just, that in the background? Yes, yesterday was, what's that? Do you hear what a helicopter just went over my head at my office here? Yeah. And it's just, Every That's time saying, something man. like it's that a, happens, you can't you can't pull away. Yeah, yeah. So, but today I I don't know where you are, but I I feel like I'm in a better 
a little bit better state, man. Just I just want to do a lot of nothing today, man. <laughs> well, let's start I mean, here, Mark, because I think I think you wrote something when he, when he retired that kind of struck me. You wrote it for the undefeated. Just kind of looking back on Kobe's career, you wrote that he was uh, you had comedian like hilarious quality to him, and I'm I don't think I've heard that before about Kobe. Oh, he, he can we curse on your podcast? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he talked a lot. Of <laughs> <laughs> and and I think he realized I could take it and I dish it back, and so you know we have fun then. And I remember one time like. He told me he wasn't going to do an interview with me because I had an Adidas sweatsuit on <laughs> and was adamant about it. He was half joking, half serious. He's like, no, nah, dog, I'm being serious. I'm not doing it. Man. <laughs> like, you can't disrespect me like that, you know, because he had that hard breakup with yep. with Nike. And uh, so I'm like, you know, what do you want me to do? Take it off now? <laughs> yeah. You're going to say He's no like, to an interview because right, I, like, I threw look, on a sweatshirt look, I today? I interview. So he, he, he ultimately ended up doing it. Um, but, you know, there was always a joke. There was always a laugh. Um, uh, he Even like I saw him one time, we, we got a beverage, and he didn't drink at the time. But in Salt Lake City during the playoffs, and this woman was, like, heckling him at a, at a bar, <laughs> at a sports bar. About the Lakers Jazz series. And, wait, 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 wait! You're in Salt Lake City against the the Lakers are playing the Jazz, and you're hanging out with Kobe yeah. at a bar, watching, just chilling, just watching some play, some playoff games. Yeah, yeah, because we had been meeting to get together, and uh, he obviously didn't have much to do in Salt Lake, so that was a great time. And uh, so it was me, one of my buddies, Lassie Mitchell. Who I, play with a sound they stay he he suggested this place and we went there the guy like made it nice to like little vip kind of sort of areas as vip as you could make it in salt lake city <laughs> and uh <laughs> so this woman came up and she was like being ridiculous man and, and it, it, it kind of brought me to his life like he probably couldn't really relax nowhere without somebody acting silly immature wanting something or, you know, I understand people wanting to meet him and everything, but, um, you know, he, obviously he could hardly go anywhere and just relax because there's always somebody that was just fascinated by him, understandably so. So the, she, she, she just being relentless. And I, I kind of remember the security trying to get her to be quiet. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, let her talk, let her talk. <laughs> and he said, and then one of his, one of our friends, one of my friends, like, found the lady attractive, thought she was cool, mm. you know, and he picked up on that. So he told her, uh, well, after we beat y'all, you know, you're going to have to go on a date with him. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, uh, no, she's like, well, what, what do I get? He said, no, no, put your money where your mouth is. You keep saying we're going to win. Y'all going to win. Y'all going to win. So I, I don't, yeah, I don't have to owe you nothing. You you put your money where your mouth is. You confident in that, right? <laughs> I'm looking back on this, like, Mark. It's it's it was a two one series. The Lakers were up two one, and they had just lost at Utah. 
and it was yeah. in between games. Oh, and Kobe so had a bad game. He shot five of twenty four yeah. after game in game three. So she's feeling. Oh, dude, I should have put that in my story. Shoot, now, now I'm, you know I reported your match and stuff. Dang, why not look back? That was that was. I guess that was part of the reason, man. <laughs> she was feeling hot at that like, point. Yeah, She's like, yeah, suck. we yeah. beat y'all. We gonna we gonna win this series. And he, he basically told her, he said, if we win this series, you gotta agree to go to dinner with my friend. And he and ultimately the Lakers won the next two, and the guy got the dinner. Kobe had thirty eight in Game Four. Kobe <laughs> had thirty one in Game Five. Won so by double digits in fans, both games. Jazz fans blame this lady. And this, lady, <laughs> she ended up going to dinner with the guy too. So it all, you know, everybody was happy. Wow, wow! Hey, you're playing matchmaker with Kobe Bryant's, uh, you know, games. That's pretty. Ta- that's a good talent, man. No, nah, I, no, nah, that was just the competitiveness in him, man. Yeah, it's just, it just funny. But he just, uh, you know, that that certainly was a lot of laughter and. But I think the thing, and we we had several conversations. My my favorite was getting the opportunity to talk to him in the training room after his last game at Golden State. Like he invited me in, and we ended up talking for ten minutes. And you know, he he was doing a documentary um, with Spike Lee. You remember that that yep. he did? Yep. And they filmed our conversation, and I remember asking them not to <laughs> not to air it because it was a personal conversation. Like, and I bet you there's some video somewhere, man. I, I wish I could have that video now, a conversation that we had in the, in the training room. But, like, it, and Tommy Shepard, as you know, the general manager of mm-hmm. the uh, Wizards, a good friend of mine, he he once eloquently told me, he said, if you're, you know, expecting a hug from an NBA player, you're wasting your time. You know what I mean? And basically, be a lot of that, you know, and this is Tommy just saying, hey, you know, those guys got so much going on, and you know they. It's hard to connect with them, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to connect with them, but it was just, it was just different with Kobe. But what I marveled most about him was how he connected with people that he didn't know. And I and I'm not talking about the fans that never met him. I'm like, you know, you there's probably thousands and thousands of people when it comes to stars, as you know, Tom, that get like an opportunity to meet him one time. Mm. You know, uh, we you probably seen the video with L. Duncan, who met him one time. Um, I was blessed to be around him a lot, but I had a um, a friend who I played in junior college with named Troy McCoy. And if I'm rambling on too much, man, just oh, let me know. Just, but, man, no, keep going. So, all right, so Troy had a then seven-year-old son named Cameron, and they went to go see the Lakers play in some like LA suburb, man, it was, I forgot what town it was. It wasn't at Staples. So the cheap tickets were a little cheaper. So they were able to get really good seats. So Cameron was able to bring two friends. Um, and so they were like behind the Lakers bench. There's hardly anybody there. And these three, seven year olds are just going nuts, man. Every time he scored, they're going crazy. Right. And Allison Bogley, the PR lady from, this, uh, the Lakers recognizes this, go in, goes and introduces themselves, and Troy says, oh, yeah, Mom, Mark Spears, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, you know what I'm going to do for you guys? I'm going to give you guys post-game passes for oh. Cameron's birthday. So she gives them post-game passes, tells Kobe that this little boy's out there. It's his birthday. 
and he's a family friend of Mark Spears, right? Kobe comes out the locker room and yells, where's Cameron at? Where's Cameron at? Oh, Cameron man. sheepishly, like, puts his hand up, like, here I am, right? <laughs> Goes up to him. Cameron's, like, frozen. His friends are frozen. He, like, hugs Cameron, and he hugs his, like, two friends. And then he asks them how they're doing in school and, and asks them if they play basketball and gives them some basketball motivational words. And um, my friend Troy ends up, like, taking this picture, right? And, um, like, and I still had the picture today. Um, and at that time, Cameron had, a, you know, a little speech impediment and everything and was having a little bit of hard time with that. But that next day, those kids went to school and told everybody, Cameron knows Kobe Bryant. Cameron don't know no Kobe Bryant. (laughs) (laughs) Cameron met him after a game one time. But to these kids, Kobe said, where's Cameron, right? So so all of a sudden, it went across the school that Cameron knew Kobe and the big kid, the shy kid who, you know, had dealt with the speech impediment when he was a child, all of a sudden the whole school was wanting to be his friend. Just because he knew Kobe Bryant, kind of. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, but Mark, the point of the story there is is that, like, if if Kobe just, like, high-fived him on his way out and was like, sorry, kid, I got to go to the bus, he's or not saying... Or took a quick pick and boom. Yeah, yeah, he's not saying that, or he's not he feeling that same way, but he took the time and... and He's always going to have, and those kids are always going to have that memory of Kobe saying, hey, where's Cameron? Like, Cameron is the yeah. star. Yeah, and and I'm sure those two kids, I don't know if Cameron's still in touch with them because now Cameron's a 17-year-old junior guard at Taft High School in Los Angeles. You know, they remember that. That might have probably been the only time they missed him. You know what I mean? Like, but, but the thing, and... and and Tom, you probably saw it um, that I always marvel by, which you know NBA players, everybody I think should take notes, especially if you're in a position of celebrity. Like he would get scouting reports on people that he was going to meet after games, as if they were like their opposing guard, you know. He would do talk a, to Allison. He would, do a scout, or, he would do game film, essentially, on a reporter or a yeah. subject. No, no, no. Well, he knew all our names, which was brilliant, like all the national guys' names and all the beat writers' names, like their names. How many stars probably know all of our names? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, no, he knew everybody's name and knew something about you. But I'm talking about, like, this is some behind-the-scenes inside baseball, I guess, inside basketball stuff. A lot of times when it comes to star players, there's always somebody after the game that they got to meet. It might be a sponsor's kid. It might be so-and-so. Yep. You know what I mean? A celebrity. It might be – it's always the GM's somebody. GM's cousin who say, showed up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, man, can you just introduce them? But he would actually take the time before he met them to find out about them. I think he realized that you never know who you're meeting. And if this is somebody you know – or somebody connected somebody a note, they could probably enhance him too. Um, but but I think it was genuine. Like, he would find out about him. 
And I would see these people because, you know, I'm waiting outside the locker room trying to get my extra three, five minutes with them for my story. So I'd be sitting out there and I'd be watching these people just nervous, nervous. Oh, man, waiting on Kobe, nervous. And then Kobe comes out and he's the one that breaks the ice. He's the one that says, hey, uh, Gordon, um, how's the, uh, you know, the music business going? I, I heard you had this hit song and blah, blah, blah. He knew about them as much as they knew about him. And then all of a sudden you see their guard or their, their comfortability just rise dramatically. And he's like, they feel like he, he's their friend just because he knew something about them, you know, which was brilliant on his part. But it was also caring on his part. Like he, it, it wasn't just a shake hand, take a selfie. I'm out. Like he, and you know how it is with our business, man. We, um, I kind of crack up. Like uh, my sister calls me a D-list celebrity, and then she <laughs> says, "But you, but you're on the list." <laughs> like every every time somebody comes up to me and says, "Oh man, Mark Spears, I really like your." reporting and I, I like your work and can I get a picture blah 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 man I always stop and I always feel like I need to give them a minute or two you know what I mean just out of appreciation and in a lot of ways I got that from Kobe I mean hey man God uh you know may, maybe God blesses me and you one day where we have Will Bond Stephen A you know Scott Van Pelt celebrity who knows you know but the little bit of people that come up and say hi now I feel like I have to stop and say hello and ask them their name. And um, part of that I got from Kobe Bryant, man. Do you think twice about what you're wearing when you go into interviews with players now? <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Since then, if I got a one-on-one uh, interview with a player, I will look to see what kind of shoes they're wearing. <laughs> like... <laughs> I've interviewed Steph with underarm. Like, I've made sure I have something of every brand. <laughs> like, so if I interview Steph, it's going to be with some Under Armors on. If I'm interviewing Damon Lillard, it's going to be with some Adidas on. Now, Clay shoes, those um, uh, Chinese shoes, nah, a little more difficult, so I'll probably wear some dresses. <laughs> Keep it neutral, you know what I mean? But, yeah, because of that situation with Kobe, I'll wear shoes. If I wear tennis shoes, it'll be the same tennis shoes that the uh, player endorses out of respect. So I want to, I mean, you cover Kobe kind of from afar, but also in some of his biggest and darkest moments. I mean, you were at the Denver Post during the Eagle Colorado incident. What was that like for you as a reporter, knowing this is like the biggest star in the game? And I got to report on this dude. Um, this is serious stuff. Like, what was that yeah. like? Um, it, it was tough. I mean, there's a lot about that that not not for public conversation. Um, but uh, which I I just leave it alone. But um, I, I think you wrote in a story that he slammed the door in your face one time when you tried to ask him about it. Yeah, well, he was. Hey, he did your research, huh? Yes, what I, hey, thank you, Kobe. <laughs> I, I, I forgot I'm talking to a, a, a talented reporter. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, when he was coming back to play in Denver for the first time after what happened in Ville, Colorado, I was sent specifically to talk to him 
about his first game back. And at that time, I didn't, I hadn't built a relationship with him yet. And he was smart. He knew I was there. Um, I I think I I have a way of asking questions that are, Greg Popovich once told me, he said, you're always fair. And that's, I like that about you. You know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't going there to beat him up or, or, or to judge the incident. I was going there to get his thoughts about going back there to play after the game. And then it's like, you know, last question, you know how like the PR people do it. So I didn't get it. You know, I was trying to be respectful and let the beat writers ask their questions first. And then I was going to ask him about it. And he like took off and I'm like, you know, Hey Cobe, I want, I need to ask you about, you know, coming to Denver and, there was a, yeah, he did slam the door in my face as he, I mean, but it was a room I couldn't go into. It was like the player's lounge. Um, and you also so covered I, him you know, from the Boston Celtics side during the well, finals. But I'm going to stop, I'm going I'm to stop you right there. Cause we actually, cause I, I admit it. I didn't like him at first. You know what I mean? I, I respected his talent and everything, but where me and him ended up where I saw a different side of him, um, saw some growth in terms of, you know, professionalism and stuff like that, or even saw the personal side. So my family, my parents, a lot of my family members were affected by Hurricane Katrina. My parents had to leave to Dallas for about six to eight months. I have family members who lost homes. You know, it was it was a nightmare. It was horrible. And so I actually begged the Denver Post when I was working there at the time to cover the charity game that they had in Houston, which was beautiful. And uh, shout out to Kenny Smith for setting that up. And it was like Kobe went, Iverson, LeBron, Melo, like all the stars of the game that were, you know, playing at that time went. That time Kobe was the star of the league. And, you know, he ended up, uh, we ended up talking and he started asking me questions. And he was like, how, how come you know so much? about Katrina and then I had, you know, told him about actually how that morning, like, you know, like my family was there. My, my parents had got, had gotten displaced to um, Dallas and, you know, how me and Chauncey had went to the, we were in, a, you know, a convention center in Houston kind of crying together as we saw like thousands and thousands of primarily black people laying on cots trying to figure out what, what's next. You know, um, and so we we talked for a while about it, and it, it was just in- interesting because he was asking about me and my family, and you know, n- not that I was asking any other players to do it, but he was the one that actually seemed to care um, about what was going on with me personally, and um, so that that from that point on, man, me and him were always golden and good, and um, I think he started following my work a lot more and I guess saw what um, Pop said about me being fair and stuff like that. So, you know, I got a nice text from Dave McMenamin yesterday where he said, man, you know, Kobe, the Dave's been covering Lakers forever. He's like, man, Kobe always respected you, man. He said, I, he said, I, I always found that amazing how much he respected you. And so that, I said that it, m- me and him, like, me and him just betting this. Our uh, <laughs> uh, budding, like, uh, working, solid working relationship all came 
together, I think, from that Hurricane Katrina event. Man, there's two sides to Kobe because I, I, I was the same way with him. I grew up a Celtics fan in New England, and everybody just – he was the villain. He was number one public yeah. public enemy number one in 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 New England, right? And so I think a lot oh, of – I remember the, uh, the bus the bus incident, right? Yes. But, I mean – Like they, the Celtics like beat him in 2008, and the fans there are so cold. <laughs> like, and I talked to Kobe about it. Like they were shaking their bus. And throwing rocks at their bus as they're leaving, leaving the garden. Like the something's won. <laughs> right. And they're still like terrorizing the Lakers and Kobe's like, man, we were we were actually scared. We were like worried that they were gonna pull us over and jump on the bus or something, man. Like Boston Celtics fans ain't no joke. Crazy. Crazy. And I think I think Kobe in some ways would appreciate the intensity of that fandom because he himself is a very intense person. But man, that was like, when you talk about rivalries in sports, it's hard to say that they exist anymore, but man, that the battles between Kobe and the Celtics, um, Paul Pierce, I mean, it's one of those things that I don't know. Kobe always seemed to me like a multidimensional dude that when I read, used to read about, hey, he's a private person, he doesn't go out, he doesn't have what I think Bill Plaschke called an entourage. Like, I think, I'm like, yeah, this is all just myth-making, right? This is all just Kobe myth-making of, you know, he all he wants to do is win, all he cares about is the craft, all, he's just so single-minded. But then there are these, like, more tender, sweet moments that you're describing and that Howard Beck is describing and that Ramona Shelburne is describing where do you think that curiosity or that that drive to connect with people, where does that come from with Kobe? Because Boston fans or Kings fans or people who have been had their hearts ripped out by Kobe, it doesn't jive with that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that commercial he had kind of said it best, you know. It was like, you know, that commercial where they're singing about how they hate him and yeah. after, his, you know, for his last game. Love me or hate me. It's one or the other. Always has been. But he knows you don't say you suck to people that actually suck. You only say that to people that are really good. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he knew that that was a sign of respect, man. He 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 was uh, certainly somebody that caused a lot of tears to opposing fans, man. But to say, at the same token, they respected him. There was a reason why that game was always sold out. It, it was deeper than the Lakers. Like that that eighty one point game, that team sucked, huh? Yeah. But Terrible. that game was sold out. Those all those Lakers games when he was playing with like Chris Mim and who was the who was that point guard? Uh, that that he did Smush Parker and all that. Yep. They went to those games. Like if you watch that game, look at who he was playing with. But the games were packed because of him. The games were packed because the fans there were like, okay, what is he going to do? L.A.'s always been in love with entertainers, whether it's people on the silver screen, uh, dancing, singing, you know, Michael Jackson, Fred Astaire. He was that to L.A. And he could have played with four little kids and people would have showed up to watch him play. You know, he just... He was just that much fun to watch. You never knew what he was going to do on any given game. And, and the people just love him. And maybe, maybe I'm going too far. And I lived in L.A. for two years. So 
if LA disagrees with me, uh, you know, sure. But I, I don't think he's not only the most popular Laker of all time, which saying a lot because I, I think he eclipsed Magic, which is extremely hard to do. But I think he is the most popular celebrity in LA history. Like, you gotta really, really love somebody to say, you know what, I'm not gonna be a fan of LeBron James because he was a rival Kobe Bryant. Mark, like, I, I thought James it wouldn't go over well because of the fact that Kobe the Kobe factor. I just didn't see yeah. Lakers fans and even, I say he's not even playing anymore. And it's like <laughs> instead of being excited about LeBron being there, they got fans there that they're like got their arms folded like I'm a Kobe fan. There's no way I could cheer for this man. Well, like, y'all just got LeBron James. <laughs> right? My point is, like, they love him so much that they don't find it in their heart to love LeBron James either. Both. You know what I mean? Like, which is just, it's crazy, but just shows me the fascination with him. And, Tom, if they had played tonight, I was going to crush them. I was ready to crush them, crush the NBA for playing that game. I saw and you I'm tweet glad that. They didn't. And, yeah, man, I saw you tweet that. Where did that, that come from? Like, what what is it that? Where did that tweet Made come me from? Maybe say that. Yeah. Because um, I agree I with you. I talked to but... somebody. Yeah, I, I talked to somebody several hours before they made the decision that I just say worked for the organization and they had to pull over because they were crying. Mm. And like, it really hit me like. It's different with the whole league is mourning, but it's 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 more at home with the Lakers because one Kobe's Kobe, two that's twenty years in one place. So you're not just like it's not like he just played there for a season or two or something like that. You know, this is somebody that was at an organization for twenty years where you got people that have known him since he was a teenager. So the whole organization is mourning. The or- whole organization is crushed. Like, you would ask these people to show up today and work that game. I'm not just talking about the players. I'm not just talk- I'm talking about the coaching staff. I'm talking about the whole organization. That would have been, like, terrible. That, that-, that wouldn't have been fair. You know what I mean? So I think um, that was a great move. Thanks, Adam Silver, for doing that. I, I-, I can't imagine what that game would have been like today uh how horrible it, it would have been played it would have been it, it, it would have like i know fans are, oh you know kobe would have wanted them to play but they love kobe so much there's no way they could have really played that game man it, it would have been sad to watch whereas i think now that the lakers are playing friday you know they'll that they get a couple days to let the dust settle mourn um they're not going to be over it, but it, it'd probably be a little bit easier to talk about it on Wednesday when we show up with the microphones and then come Friday, it, it'd probably be a lot easier to play. Um, so I'm, the schedule was such where they're playing the Clippers. It ain't like the Clippers got to fly back in. They they play there, yeah, so yeah. they can figure out another call. day to play. You know, It was fortunate that it was the Clippers game. It wasn't. Charlotte Hornick, you know what I mean? I mean, hey, look, if Staples Center doesn't have an open date, shoot, go back to the forum where Kobe started his career and played the game. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
I I think it was the move that needed to happen. I bet you when it was announced, everybody there, an organization that has um, grief counselors there right now, probably was able to take a sigh of relief and sleep well, sleep better tonight, you know, because Sunday was, was, was horrible. Yesterday was even more horrible, you know, because the reality was starting to set in. That this wasn't a nightmare. It, it's reality. No, and exactly. It, yeah. And, and then it, imagine walking into the office and everybody's just floored, you know, everybody's emotional. I, I could only imagine what it was like inside their headquarters yesterday. And I don't want to imagine, really. I wrote that it was the darkest day in the NBA um, since I've been covering the league. And I just can't, I can't, like David Stern passed away a few weeks ago and it feels like a mere footnote compared to this because it's not like David Stern. the, The fact that Kobe not only died at 41, but the terror of how it happened with his daughter and to have both of them, their lives, and so soon, um, I think everyone's grieving, not just about Kobe, the basketball player, but Kobe, the father. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering, do you have any insight into that? Because, again, we talk about the duality of Kobe Bryant, where yeah. you think he's this this merciless killer out there on the floor. But the way that he lifted up his daughters in ways that you just wouldn't expect. You wouldn't expect this guy who has seemed like the personification of masculinity, right? Like this ruthless assassin on the floor just seemed, I don't know. You tell me, have you seen Kobe Bryant smile more in the 20 years in the NBA than he did in the last four years when he wasn't in the NBA? I don't think so. You you know what? I I, I think children and and hopefully I'll be blessed with a child um, one day, but you know, children connect with their parents in different ways, right? If there's, you know, several kids. And I think that um, Gigi connected with him through basketball. There is no way Kobe Bryant on a Sunday night would have been at a Hawks game if it wasn't for his daughter's love of basketball. I <laughs> he wasn't going to no games after he retired. He was – he. He disappeared, you know. He he stayed away. I think he knew and was uncomfortable with the spotlight every time he came there would would be on him. In fact, the night he retired, I think, wasn't that the first game he had been to since he stopped playing? I mean, uh, the Jersey retirement was the first game he had went to since he stopped playing. Yeah, he went um, on, uh, he went on uh, SportsCenter with Jamel Hill and Michael Smith and talked about when he – wanted to go watch, you know, an NBA game randomly, like years later after he retired, he flipped on the TV and it said, please call your uh, cable provider for League Pass. <laughs> and he was like, what do I do? He's like, I yeah, just want to watch yeah. this game. Uh, and so Kobe Bryant yeah. is sitting at home and he hasn't watched the NBA in so long that he has no way to watch the NBA on League Pass. So he said he made a couple calls, yeah. but – that's what that's the oh, way he sure was. He, he, he went yeah. headfirst into into fatherhood at that point because he had yeah. done his twenty years in the league, and then it was making up for lost time, I'd imagine. Yeah. So, I'm trying to find this quote, and you're in front of your computer. Um, can you pull up my last story I wrote, real quick? Yeah, yeah. On theundefeated.com for people listening. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> and I want you to read uh, the last quote I have in the story. Okay, so the last quote in your latest story was uh, from Kobe Well, maybe Bryant. preface it by saying it. Yeah, preface it by what I asked him about. And we'll go ahead. I'll let you talk. On March 19th, 2019, Kobe Bryant released his first sports fantasy book, the, we- <laughs> the Wisenard series, Training Camp, written by Wel- yeah. Wesley King. Bryant's youth series features characters of different races and background. He believed his daughters needed to see characters who looked like them. Quote, and this is Kobe's talking, quote, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that the characters would be children of color, mixed race, because that's what I have at home. And that's what I grew up with. But in the industry itself, it is very hard to find that. Very, very hard to find that because we tend to, the general argument is that, well, they can't appeal to the masses. End quote. Yeah. Yeah, so he um, he was working on books, and I also want you to read the quote above that when I was asking what he thought about the Lakers' struggles at the time. Look, between building an entire studio from scratch, hiring a publishing production company, licensing, building an animation studio, writing the book, between that and coaching my daughter's team every single day, I have no time. I mean, I have no time. None. Yeah, and I, so I was squeezing them about, the Lakers struggles and what he thought, and you know, LeBron's team was struggling, blah, blah, blah. And he hadn't wa- he hadn't been watching them. <laughs> he was, he was too busy uh, building his business empire. He was too busy being a father. He was too busy being a coach. And then just the thoughtfulness also like, you know, um, uh, my prayers to his wife and, and, and their family, his wife is, you know, Mexican. Um, and he, him being black and African-American, you know, he was certainly in tune, which I think he, he actually congratulated me when I got the job with the undefeated. And, uh, he was very in tune to what I was writing about in terms of race and culture. And uh, he, he thought the topic was very important to write about. Um, but um, one, those two quotes mean to me is one, just how busy he was once he stopped playing. Cause like I said, you didn't see him until his retirement. And then I think ultimately Gigi's love for basketball got him to go see a game like the Atlanta Hawks on the Sunday because she liked Trey young and wanted to see Trey young. And, uh, if you saw it, Trey young was really emotional, um, mm-hmm. afterwards because, you know, he had met, spent time with both of them. Um, but Kobe also, he just, I think, starting to get into like the second year of his career because like he cared about diversity and um, race and, and uh, a world where, you know, everybody mattered in the world. Everybody of all colors were represented. And so that last quote, I wanted it to be last because I, I wanted people to see that, you know, he, he, he felt that diversity mattered. The thing that, makes me crumble the most. And I have two daughters. Um, the thing that Mark, the thing that just when he went on, um, he went on a podcast a few years ago with Alex Rodriguez and big cat from barstool. And he, uh, he was talking about why he uses a helicopter. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, I do it for my daughters. Essentially I I do it because I can't sit in traffic or else I can't pick up my daughters from school. 
Like I can't, it's all about being there for my kids at school because I want to be there because going on road trips and the NBA lifestyle, I missed a lot of my daughter's childhoods. And I do, I do the helicopter because I want to be the dad who is there for them when they get picked up from school. And, uh, and it just, I don't know, there's something, the humanity in that and Kobe Bryant and being a father is, is, uh, I think. I, I think I'm surprised by how much this this death affected me because I did I was not covering Kobe Bryant from you know uh, when he got into the league like others did but I think him as a father is just I don't know it. it um, no, I mean he he took this took it like even more serious than him as a competitive player you know yep it was um you know being a father was. Uh, I mean, he was great at it. I'm, I'm gonna take note, man. I'm just, hopefully, hopefully, I, I get that blessing. But, you know, if if he could make time, ever, all of us should be able to make time with everything he had going on, you know. But, like, to coach the team, to to you know, and we, and, uh, the eldest daughter was a volleyball star, and I'm sure he was, you know, around for a lot of that. I mean, we. Sometimes in in this business that we're in, the sports world, we get so like enamored with our bright lights of our job that you know we we forget about home. Um, mm. I've been watching the you, you've been watching a TV show, the uh, the morning show. No, no, it, it's, re- it's really really great on Apple TV. You should watch that, and it kind of talks about the. TV morning TV stars, TV show stars, and how one of them, the lead one, she kind of caused this rift between her and her daughter because she basically wasn't there, and uh, nobody could ever accuse him of that. He, he definitely was there and took excitement and pride in, in his children's lives, man. And uh, he is, um, you know, if, if I'm blessed to be a father one day, I'm. I'm definitely taking my notes from him. Man. Well, Mark, I hope talking about him kind of gave you, gave you some, I don't know, healing for this. And I know you were. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was good, man. This was good. I, 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 I don't know. Everybody grieves differently. You know, I, my breakdown is coming. Uh, it hasn't happened yet because I'm, I think I'm still in a state of shock right now. You know, um, I'm sure I'm I'm gonna go to the memorial. They they better send me. <laughs> like, I'm going, and I'm sure that's the day where it's gonna really punch me. You know what I mean? Um, but right now, I just I think yesterday was bad, bro. Like yesterday was just it was too much. You know what I mean? And and just but like today to me, like I I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm ailing a little bit, but today it is a little easier to talk about it, you know. Um, yeah, there's gonna be there's and, gonna be a breakdown at some point for me because I'm flying I'm flying to uh, to Portland later today, and I just I just know that yeah, saying goodbye to my daughter's gonna yeah gonna be a little bit harder this time and squeeze oh, a little bit man, tighter, man. Bro. Oh man, so, like to tell I, I've I've been that corny friend or maybe doesn't sound corny to people now that it's funny man i tell my friends i love them you know mm. and uh 
they kind of always like, why you say that? That's not a bro thing to say. You know what I mean? But, and man, we don't never know what tomorrow holds. And I, I like, like our life is not a promise. It's a privilege. You know, it's a privilege to wake up every day. When people tell me, uh, oh man, getting old sucks. It, it, it beats the alternative. <laughs> like we are, we are blessed for every day that we have on this earth, man. And like, um, there's so many people like him who, whose lives are cut short or, I mean, his daughter's life was cut extremely short. And we'll never know what amazing she would have done, but their impact on the world is going to make a lot of lives better. And, um, I'm curious to see the influence he's going to have with the Mamba mentality on this generation of kids. Because to me, like, <laughs> they don't work this now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, they ain't got the Mamba mentality at all, man. They just, all they want to do is shoot threes and cross everybody over, you know. You know. But I, I tell kids now, like, you know, people like Kobe are rare. Like the person that shows up to the to the practice gym at seven a.m. to get a workout in before practice starts. <laughs> like you it's know, crazy, man. I've talked to several guys who like I I could just never get in earlier than he did. Just ne- never could. And there's a re- special people. There's a reason why they're special. They do things that differentiate themselves from everybody else. So when like a a young kid talked about well, I want to be in the NBA. I'm like, well, what are you doing to be there? Like James Harden used to get on a bus at, yeah, every James Harden got on a bus at 5.30 in the morning, took a bus for an hour to get to his high school at like 6.30 so he could work out. And and this is not in like the nicest of neighborhoods, to say the least. Got to his high school like an hour and a half before class started as like a 17-year-old, 16-year-old, and shot with his coach for an hour before school started. And that doesn't even include practice. I mean, like, so if you want to be like Kobe special, James Harden special, like there's some work to put in that I don't know that a lot of these kids, and it's, it's easy to say you want to be there. It's a different level to, to put in the work to try to be one of uh, less than 2% of all, all like college basketball players can make it, right? So if you're going to be less than 2%, <laughs> not gonna happen Come, nah bro I mean you even might put the work in and, and not get there you know what I'm saying but um, but that's what but that's why I work think, ethic that's why I think Trey Young and Devin Booker and all on, these guys man. they were they were I mean I think I think the young NBA players like they've said it is that Kobe was their Jordan and they they yeah. watched and worshipped Kobe in ways that yeah. it's so amazing to hear because for my and your generation, like I never thought someone would be bigger than MJ and maybe Kobe isn't yeah. bigger than MJ, but man, in a lot of NBA players hearts. Well, for this, yeah, for this generation, like you said, he, he's their MJ, man. He's, um, it's funny. A lot of them younger kids never even saw Michael Jordan play, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's all like for, for that next generation, it's going to be LeBron, you know? Mm-hmm. For the generation after that, you know, maybe it's maybe it's Luca, maybe it's Trey. You know what I'm saying? But Kobe Bryant, for for any kid that like was born in the '90s, 
Born in the early 2000s. I mean, he's God to them, you know? Couldn't say it better myself. Um, so, rest in peace, brother. I, uh, Kobe Bryant, have decided to take my talent to, uh... <laughs> no, I have decided to skip college and take my talent to India. So I didn't know this about my digital producer who does the magic behind the Haberstadt video I do every week. Chris Hine went to high school with Kobe Bryant and graduated the same year at Lower Marion High School in Philly. Did not know this until Sunday's news. So I'm going to bring on Chris to give his personal stories with Kobe Bryant, his classmate. He was definitely not just another kid in our school. My first memory of Kobe was in middle school. And it was, I don't remember when he went to Italy because he lived in Italy for a while and then came back for high school. But my first memory of him was in middle school in like auto shop class or something like that. You know, at that point, you didn't really know, you know, much about what he was eventually going to become. But uh, he was definitely the tallest kid in our school at that point. Did you know that his dad played in the NBA and that his uncle played not, in the NBA? Nah, not at that point. Not at that point. So I think one of the biggest things that uh, is associated with Kobe Bryant is high. he went to high school prom with Brandy. And yeah. uh, did you go with Monica? <laughs> I should have. I should have asked her. She might have said yes. <laughs> what, was uh, what was that? No, the like, prom was crazy. The prom was crazy. It was um, Brandy. It felt like a big red carpet event, which is, I'm assuming, different than most uh, people's senior prom experiences. Um, there was media there. Uh, they literally had a red carpet. Uh, Brandy's bodyguard was was enormous, like, and he was next to her the entire time. So when they were dancing, he was standing next to them. Yeah, it was it was pretty surreal. It was a pretty surreal experience. But you know, I mean, we were, you know, seventeen year old kids, so we just sort of did our own thing. <laughs> you know, prom weekend is still prom weekend when you're a 17 year old kid, you're still having a good time. Was he as curious or as inquisitive as a lot of the writers now are telling stories, personal stories about how Kobe Bryant, every time he met someone, he felt like he was the interviewer, not the interviewee. He was the guy who was asking them questions about themselves. And I, well, was he like that in high school? Yeah, my my memory was 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 that he um I had I I remember one specific English class I had with him. It was a uh, I don't remember if it was like a science fiction class or a short stories class, but you know it was that one class where you have with the the teacher who was trying to get people to do creative writing and creative thought. And I remember Kobe definitely being intellectually engaged in in the conversations that we were all having. You know, not just like a typical athlete who would sit in the back and not pay attention. He was definitely he was definitely engaged and interested. And you you're a tall dude, so like, did you guys yeah. play basketball? Did you play basketball in high school? What was that like? Being a tall I did dude not next. To I Kobe did Bryant? not play basketball. I was I was tall. Uh, I was taller than him in high school. I did not play high school basketball, uh, much to the chagrin of everybody <laughs> in my family. Uh, but I did play, I played, you know, pickup basketball and I do remember playing, uh, around him. I don't remember if I specifically played against him on the playgrounds, but you, you know, he, he was always, you know, he was destined as soon as you saw him, he was, he was a dynamic basketball player from the time, you know, he was, he was young. It was, it was pretty insane to watch. There's a, there's a summer league, 
uh, in the town I grew up in, the Narberth Playground League. And, you know, the crowds that would come down to watch him when he would play were, you know, just different. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy experience growing up with that kind of spotlight, you know, shining on us. This isn't like a Oak Hill, right? Like, like Lower no, Marion is public school. Yeah. Can you describe the school and, and why it was so odd to have Kobe Bryant uh, being the Gatorade National Player of the Year for your school? Like, can you set yeah. up just like what kind of school it was and and how good the bas? I think I read. Is this true that the basketball team his freshman year, which I guess is your freshman year, like too? four and twenty six or something like that? Yeah, yeah, they were they were pretty bad. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, you know, it was a typical you know upper middle class main uh, you know suburb suburban public high school um you had a pretty decent mix of kids and you know sports we had a good lacrosse team we always had a good lacrosse team we, we never had a good football team our basketball team was always kind of just a you know regular public high school basketball team and then he comes along and just it completely changed changed everything uh you know the the gym when i was a freshman you know for games we, we didn't go to a lot of games but the gym was not filled at all and then by the time senior year rolled around you know, you had people waiting outside to to come in and watch games when they went on the state, you know, the state championship yeah. run. So it was pretty, it was pretty nutty. I didn't, I didn't go to high school with a celebrity like that. Was he, uh, <laughs> was, did he have like buddies that uh, like, did you reach out to them when you found out about his passing? And um, did you reach out to classmates or anything like that? And just like, I can't believe this. Yeah. Everybody's every, you know, with social media now there's Facebook groups for our, our, um, you know, for our senior class and graduating year and all that stuff and everybody's sharing memories and pictures and, uh, you know, stories and, and it's just tragic, you know, like obviously it's sad enough to lose, you know, someone as impactful as him, but his daughter and all the other people on that helicopter is just, you know, as a parent myself, you just, it's just heartbreaking. Like, I think, uh, someone told me yesterday that, there's only three MVPs, NBA MVPs that are not with us. It's Moses Malone, Wilt Chamberlain, and Kobe Bryant. And I'd imagine wow. for your high school class, it's the similar thing. Is like it, we're not supposed to be dying at 41 years old. Like I, right. I have a yeah, few people in that. my high school class that passed away, and it's just shocking. And you you are grieving in a different way, where your classmates have all the, like this is not um, this is not normal. Yeah, no, it's not. And, and, you know, you see all the, whenever you see the graphics on TV where it says, you know, the, the obituary graphics where it says his years, you know, that was the year I was born into 1978. So it just makes you feel your own mortality. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And our, our class, we actually, we've lost a bunch of people. We've, we've had some, some shooting stars in our, in our, in our grade in high school. And, you know, we, we lost a couple of people way too early and this is just another one. Did you ever see him come back, or were there any like reunion stories about Kobe Bryant coming back to? Yeah, Lincoln? no, I didn't. He he didn't come to any of our official reunions, <laughs> and and I didn't I didn't run in, in in the same circles as he did. So you know those couple years after high school, uh, where I know he did come back and spoke with the basketball team, you know, and stuff like that. I I wasn't really involved in any of that. So no, I didn't I didn't really have. After high school, I did not have any interaction with him whatsoever. When someone asks you, what was Kobe like in high school? What's your first memory or how do you describe him? Uh, he had a presence. You, you know, he, he, I, I remember him definitely being involved in school, but definitely being able to, um, you know, come and go as he pleased. And, and he, he, but he was always like, he always 
you know, put in the effort with school. He was always smart. He was always super nice to everybody. Um, I, I don't remember him having uh, a ton of really close friends. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, it's um, the same he, way in, he, in the NBA. Is not, not many people saw yeah. saw him out. He was a very uh, private person. Yeah, I think that I think that held true from when he was younger. I mean, maybe, you know, he always knew and he was just preparing for life in the spotlight. Uh, uh, but I, I don't know. Yeah, he was he was a very kind person and, uh, you know, clearly destined to be a, a, a family guy and a good father, it appears. So he always it always seemed like that was that was true to him. One thing I'll always I'll always remember in this is uh, more selfish than anything, but uh, I was slightly taller than him, um, and they did graduation uh, by height, and so I was the very last person in our class to graduate. Um, so I got a louder cheer at our graduation than than Kobe Bryant, which I will always have. <laughs> Wait, this, I have to unpack this a little bit. You do you did graduation by height? Right, it was weird. <laughs> I, I mean. I mean, I'm hoping I'm remembering that correctly, but it, I mean, I definitely remember being the last one to graduate and there would be no reason because my last name begins with an H. So like I led the, you know, throwing caps in the air thing. Wow. Co yeah, like, you yeah, upstaged Kobe, man. I upstaged Kobe. Yeah. Probably the only time he was ever upstaged. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Chris, that is, I can't, I can't even imagine. Like I, I always, I just thought it was, the standard is to just do it alphabetically, but your school, yeah, you, no. you must have slipped the principal like a $20 bill or yeah, something yeah, like that. <laughs> said, hey, let me have this moment because I'm never going to be able to upstage That's Kobe right. Bryant another day. That is That's awesome. Right. Well, appreciate the time, Chris, and uh, I right, hope Tom. we do this Haberstat this week on Kobe. Do him justice on this one. All right, I'll, I'll do my best. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. Yo, what's up? Chris Sims here. Check out my podcast, Chris Sims Unbuttoned. You can download it anywhere you download your podcast. And if you want to check out me doing some X's and O's and film breakdown, go to the NBC Sports YouTube page. Hopefully you'll enjoy. Now, back to the conversation. Shot clock at 12. So you don't want to foul now because you got one to give. They won't shoot free throws. Shaw, running one-hander. Followed in by Kobe Bryant. Again, the Lakers have a 3-1 lead. All right, here's Brian Shaw, who played with Kobe, coached Kobe, was a mentor to Kobe. And I think you might have seen the NBA TV clip of when he was on air on the day that Kobe passed away. It's a heartbreaking scene, um, but I think as you'll hear in this he had a very, very unique relationship with Kobe and knew him before anybody uh, in the NBA. So without further ado, here's Brian Shaw on his relationship with Kobe. I was a restricted free agent as a first-round pick after one year. Danny Ferry had just gotten drafted as a second pick by the Clippers and didn't want to go play for the Clippers, so he went over to Italy. And I came, his agent called my agent and said, hey, they're looking for another guy. Make a long story short, 
they offered me about six times what the Celtics were willing to pay me. And so I went over and played that season there. And that's where I met Jelly Bean. And, um, and I met Kobe as a young man at, uh, or actually played against Jelly Bean and, um, and, and met Kobe when he was a, a young gym rat jumping in everybody's layup lines and stuff when they were playing against his dad's team. Did you think at that point, obviously hindsight 2020, you had no idea. You're, you're, you're not, for those who uh, listen, <laughs> he's shaking his head. Uh-uh. He was this relentless little kid that, like I said, I mean, literally, when we would be on the floor warming up, I played for his, his father played in a town called Reggio Emilia and for a team called Cantu, and I played in Rome for Il Messaggero. And when we would play them, he would literally be on the floor while we were warming up shooting with the team like he was on one of the teams it's like who's little little yeah. baby's kid is this get him out of here and um you know so the american players at that time because we were in a big city in rome yeah when they were off on the weekends we had a mcdonald's in um in rome so a lot of the teams at naples and close by they would come to rome just to be able to to go to mcdonald's and um so you know we'd, you'd end up hanging out with different walter berry was there you hang out with different guys um you know different american players when they would when they would come through there but that's where i met him and um had no idea that he would turn into what we've seen uh you know to the black mamba <laughs> and i didn't see him again until i was in orlando in it had to be 95 or 96 he was a a junior in high school and jelly bean brought him to one of our games because he really really idolized at that time penny hardaway who was my teammate he was he was my height six six yeah and he said the craziest thing to me he said i hadn't seen him since italy since he was about 10 or 11 he said I'm thinking about skipping my senior year of high school and coming straight into the league. And I laughed, and I was like, this kid is crazy. I talked to his dad. His dad was like, yeah, after he finishes next year, he's going to be playing against you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. And fast forward a year from then, I see him making his announcement that he was foregoing college to enter the draft, and the rest is history. Man, like (laughs) – you must have thought this guy is. I mean, you. I mean, in, in the NBA world or in basketball, you always get guys who are conceited, arrogant, and and talk a lot of smack, right? But Kobe could back it up. And I didn't know because you know, I, obviously, there was a break of about seven years where, that I hadn't seen him, and you know, he had grown and what have you. And so it wasn't until the summer that he got drafted, he got traded to the Lakers in the you know during the draft. Yeah. I'm based in Charlotte. I remember. Yeah, and he got he played in Magic Johnson's summer midnight Magic uh, charity game at the Forum. Going into his so who's season. on the give me give me the scene there. Well, there was only two people that you need to know. Well, Magic obviously was playing, but Penny Hardaway and Kobe. And so here's Kobe getting a chance to play against Penny, who he idolized, and. It's the summertime, you know, in those charity games, everybody's just kind of letting everybody yeah. dunk and, you know, what have you. But here's Kobe going super hard, pestering Penny, you know, challenging him 94 feet up the court. And he kind of did Penny in that day. And that's when you kind of, you know, say, this kid can really play. You know, you can see the athleticism, the skill set, and what have you. But what it did, it pissed off Penny because. Kobe 
kind of stole the show and like really went at him. Yeah. And so I remember when we started training camp the following season, he said, "I can't wait until he he, he circled the game when we played in L.A. that he was going to get a chance to play against Kobe because of what happened that that summer." And and what happened? Do we know? Well, Kobe wasn't playing a lot in the year, so they didn't, they didn't, it didn't end up, you know, yeah. being matching up the way that uh, the, the way that they they wanted it to. So Kobe Bryant has back to the line with six point four remaining in this overtime. So Kobe Bryant with his thirtieth point. The Kings take a timeout with six and four ten seconds to go. So that will do it. The Los Angeles Lakers winning here in Sacramento in overtime, 112 to 106 in one half. A magnificent seven-game series. Now let's get a different take here from Doug Christie, former legendary defender for the Sacramento Kings, who does the analyst for the broadcast for the Sacramento Kings on NBC Sports. We just recorded this two weeks ago, and I can't believe we're doing this in memoriam of Kobe, but Doug Christie has a long history with Kobe. Give me the book on Kobe. What would you try to take away, and if there's anything you can take away with Kobe? Because yeah. I, I, I found this stat, Doug. Okay. You held him, or I guess when, you, when the Kings played Kobe, mm-hmm. and you were on the floor, right. in those games, he shot 29% from three. That's a few games. It's a bunch of games. Yeah. But uh, I think you had said at one point that sometimes going up and trying to put your hand up on a shooter might not be as effective yeah. as other tactics to yeah. get in their head or get get under their skin a little right. bit. So what kind of tax, tactics would you use against Kobe? Maybe not him necessarily, but things that you can do against a 30-point scorer. Even like Kobe, I always felt that it would have been easier to guard Kobe, obviously, if I didn't have Shaq. Because I was leaning always towards Shaq trying to guard Kobe. That's Mm. like insane, right? I mean, because Kobe by himself is a monster. The fact is, he really tried to perfect each and every one of the things that I was just talking to you about. Pump fakes, pivots, left, reverse pivot, forward pivot, half pivot, quarter pivot, pump fake, shot fake, foot jab, double foot jab. I mean, and then do it in each quadrant of the court. Like, we're going deep here. So when you're dealing with someone like that, you try to take away something. So like most players, when I played against them, I would... I would like push him, nudge him, and then like, hey man, what the hell? What are you doing? Yeah. Like I'm in. Get okay. in their jersey uh, a little bit. Yeah. So now I'm in your head. So I win. Kobe never, he never let me in. So that was tough because you never could, you never could, you had to deal with him on an outside skill set, which I respected because there he was, he had emotions, but he wasn't emotional, mm. and that's that's deep because. You could push him, hit him, pull him. Michael was the same way. Yeah. He had a poker face almost where he, he didn't let you see yep. what he's feeling. Right. All right, and that'll do it for this episode of The Haber Show. Again, condolences go out to everyone affected by the Kobe Bryant passing and Gianna Bryant and the seven others who died in the helicopter crash. Thank you for listening. Until next time. 60. The Lakers close out Kobe Bryant's career with a win and one of the great farewell performances in any sport.